My name is Amy. And my name is James. And this is the third episode of How I Learned to Love Shrimp, which is a new podcast about effective ways to help animals and build the animal advocacy movement. In this episode, we speak to Silvano Lega, the co-managing director at Sentience, a political animal rights and animal welfare organisation based in Switzerland. We spoke about their recent federal ballot initiative to ban factory farming, the first time a direct democratic vote on this matter had taken place anywhere in the world. And despite this not passing, over a million people voted in favour of the ban. We hear from Silvano about the process, the team's learnings and his optimism for this angle of work. It's a super interesting episode, so do listen in and let us know what you think. So delighted to have you on, Silvano. Um, I've had the pleasure of working with you before. Um, but yeah, just really thrilled to be going through the work that you do and delighted to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Um, it's It's been a pleasure, you know, working with you in the past and seeing that you're building uh, something like this, which I hope uh, I can contribute. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so opening question that we're asking all of our guests on the podcast. If you received 50,000 US dollars, how would you spend this effectively to help animals? Um, yeah, so it depends. If I, if I as the um, co-managing director of an organization, received this, I would hire a fundraiser because it's, yeah, it's always it's a great capacity to have within the team. And obviously, you can leverage, you can leverage that. Um, if it was me personally, I would... Uh, probably donate it to to animal charities that have a proven track re- record of being very effective. Um, so obviously there would be some working in, in policy change, like sentience, and but also others, you know, working on um, fish welfare, shrimp welfare. There's quite a lot of new emerging fields that are very interesting. How did you end up working in animal advocacy, and like, what brought you to where you are now as the co-managing director of Sentience Politics? So um, I used to work in advertising, actually. So my background is communication. I worked in PR and advertising for years. And uh, it just at one point, I just didn't, didn't find it meaningful anymore. I was kind of learning about veganism. I was watching Earthlings. It really shook me to my core when I watched this documentary. And it really changed the, the way I saw my own role in the world. And I kind of became, and I, I quit my job, basically. I traveled to the, to the U.S. and joined activists in all different fields traveling around and uh, you know learned what people do to have a positive impact uh, in the world and then i decided to move back to switzerland i was living in austria previously moved back to switzerland and i was like okay doesn't matter like i'm just going to give up this career in advertising and and try to kind of leverage my skills for for impact for animals so i became a grassroots act- activist i kind of uh, founded the save movement chapters in switzerland was really on the forefront and um, with, with you know the vigils in front of slaughterhouses and that was really at, at grassroots level and eventually i got to know people working in politics and i got to know people working in like investors and in, in the in the plant-based meat sphere so i jumped from project to project until i met meta schneider who is now an mp for the green party in parliament and she was back then the managing director at sentience and she really wanted me on board and so I joined Sentience in 2019, and since then I've been working on policy changes in Switzerland. Nice, very cool. Uh, and then, do, do you want to give us like a quick background into Sentience politics, what you guys do, and why maybe you think it's a great way to help animals? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Sentience, 
we kind of aim to place the interests of non-human animals at the center of society. And uh, to do that, we leverage direct democracy in Switzerland. So we really, um, you have to imagine like direct democracy is, is a very kind of interesting setup because as, as the people, you can launch what's called initiatives in the Swiss context and initiatives allow you to kind of force a region, a, a, a town or the whole country to have a vote on a matter. So they can vote yes or no to whatever you're proposing, right? You just need to gather enough signatures. But what that's doing is in Swiss context, is kind of, you know, you're setting the agenda, you're setting the political agenda. People will have a conversation about the topic you want to have a vote about. Um, so that's very interesting. It's an interesting tool for activism. That's kind of why we chose it. You know, Sentience was founded in 2016, and it was founded at the University of Basel with um, where, where some people, it was before my time, uh, launched initiatives to kind of, I want to say, <laughs> force um, universities and other public uh, public institutions to offer vegan menus. So there were a few votes in, in multiple cities and cantons in Basel, Zurich, Lucerne. And then a few of these, um, actually the counter proposal, so it was not the actual proposal, but there was a counter proposal from, from the government, from the local government, was accepted and now institutionalized. So there are now different institutions within, for example, the city of Zurich that are a direct consequence of our work. So really, like, we're trying to leverage the direct democratic system for effective advocacy and agenda setting. And fundamentally, um, I don't know if I have to establish it, but kind of shifting the Overton window around, around topics uh, of you know, relevance for, for animal suffering. So interesting. I feel like this is why, I, yeah, it's just such a fascinating um conversation because I think when the political systems are so different in each um environment you know within within the country of Switzerland I think it the leverage that you could have for these policies whether they are successful or not even just the way that they're talked about and has to be voted on democratically um it's not kind of hushed behind closed doors I know here in the UK sometimes um you know uh petition will gain, you know, 100,000 signatures, and it feels like it's had real momentum, but actually, in terms of public awareness, or that being discussed at a political level, it's, it's just not as, um, not as transparent, I think, as this process. So I find it really interesting how that's broken down into the, the cantons and that, you know, everybody um, gets a gets a vote in those areas. I think it's such an interesting system. Yeah, absolutely. It is. And it, it comes with with its challenges, of course, because you really need to figure out like where are certain topics kind of located. You know, some some things are um, are something that the canton needs to decide on. Some things is are, are national. So depending on what issue you wanna you wanna kind of confront, you have to talk to different levels of government, and that can be easier or harder depending on what you want to change. And also, it's Swiss federalism is very interesting. Like depending on the canton, depending on the town, you need different amounts of signatures in different time frames so it varies wildly from canton to canton so that's you know, really? it's very you have to be very strategic <laughs> it's kind of like we have 26 small countries within the already small country of switzerland right is it similar to states in the u.s in terms of autonomy i guess yeah. that's the the only sort of relevant um comparison that i have yeah, you have very, you know, some things are regulated on a cantonal basis, for example, for example, schools, just to give an example, like 
the school system is different in each canton. So and that you know it's crazy because we have a very small country and there's 26 cantons and like depending on if you move with your family a few kilometers you might be in a completely different school system. So it's uh, yeah just an example. Of course, I'm not an expert on this topic, but it's it's just interesting to see how also with like you know animal topics how different cantons regulate things li- a little differently sometimes. So there's also um, yeah there's differences there. But obviously, for example. For us, it was very interesting, and maybe you know to talk about uh, the primate initiative, initiative uh, quickly. Um, there's this canton called um, Basel, which is a city and also a canton. So I think it's comprised of I think three or four towns in total. The largest being the city of Basel. Um, so it's a very urban area, um, and very interesting for us because again, it is a canton. Many relevant things are are dealt with on a cantonal level. And you can bring pretty progressive proposals because it is a very urban area. People are tend to be very progressive there. And so that's, for example, where we launched our initiative on fundamental rights for primates. Um, because we just assumed that's where we get the, the most interested audience. And uh, yeah, that was an interesting kind of environment to, to start this discussion. Nice. Maybe on that point, before we go on to other stuff, do you want to talk a bit about the theory of change behind the primate uh, initiative is that because you think it's a stepping stone for other animals getting rights, or yeah, if you can talk about why you think that's a useful kind of ballot initiative or like idea to get behind. Yeah, again, so we kind of work with with the Overton window, right? And there are some ideas that are considered quite radical. For example, the idea of fundamental rights for for animals or even for primates, um, which you know are closest uh, relatives, um, and and this idea is really interesting to us because uh, first of all. We, we had to go to the Supreme, uh, Supreme Court to get uh, the right to actually have a vote on this. So we gathered the signatures and people appealed and were like, actually, you, you cannot vote on this. It's not legal. So we got the okay by the Swiss Supreme Court that actually you can do that. And now it's kind of a decision. It's kind of a decision that, you know, you can vote on rights for animals. That is very interesting. So that was the first kind of victory for us. Um, and with regards to your question, Obviously, we were aware that it's going to be very difficult to win. We chose Basel for multiple reasons. Basel, first of all, it's a very urban, progressive canton. I talked about that already. Second of all, it's the head of, um, like, it's the heart of Swiss pharma. So Novartis is there, Roche is there. Up until a few years ago, there were lots of animal tests happening there, specifically on primates. Um, they don't happen anymore, but, you know, that can come back anytime. So we were like, actually, that's a really interesting place to try this theory of like proposing something that is kind of radical. We're unlikely to win, but let's see what happens, what kind of debate we, we start. And while we didn't win, uh, like we got a quarter of the votes. Uh, it was in February of 2022. Um, the debate around it was surprisingly positive. So we got media coverage across the country. We got media coverage in 18 countries, actually. So China, Australia, the U.S., um, which is incredible for a cantonal initiative in Switzerland, in one region. You know, it's unheard of, really. And uh, multiple hundred, I think three or four hundred articles in Swiss media. Um, so, yeah, for us, that was incredible, the debate that happened. Um, because for the first time in, you know, many people considered rights for animals as a concept. So even bringing that up, I think that now allows for less radical, um, r- less radical debates to happen. Because this kind of opened the space. So if, if we talk about the Overton window for an example I like to give, because it's a negative example. 
this kind of Trumpism. What Trump did in the U.S. Uh, was that he shared a lot of very extreme uh, opinions that really shifted what was considered, uh, I want to say, a centrist, a centrist point of view or an opinion that is okay to share in the public sphere. And we want to achieve the same for animals with a proposal like the Primate Initiative because it allows for debates that are progressive and could kind of come into the sphere of socially acceptable or actually become policy at one point. Well, first of all, that's very amazing that one very local scale initiative can go to like hundreds of articles in many countries around the world. And that in itself is a huge achievement. And I guess speaking of huge achievements, I think I want to speak about, I guess, the next kind of initiative you did. I think that was much more recently. I think, I guess, on the factory farming related initiative. Do you want to maybe speak about what you guys try to do and the outcome and yeah, kind of broadly pitch how that project went? <laughs> yes, of course. That was by far our biggest, uh, biggest initiative. It was a national vote to to abolish factory farming in Switzerland. And we voted on this in September of 2022. So quite recently, yeah. Um, so the initiative kind of called for an end to, to industrial animal husbandry, as we know it in Switzerland, within our national borders. And we had multiple demands, one of which was animal-friendly accommodation and care for animals, access to the outdoors, so regular access to the outdoors, and something we refer to as better slaughter conditions. So that talked about transportation, it talked about stunning methods and just, you know, everything surrounding kind of the slaughter of the animals, as well as maximum group sizes per stable, which was the very contended um, kind of part of the initiative. Um, and and we were also like, we wanted to, to support Swiss farmers. So we also included import regulation. We were like, okay, if we want Swiss farmers to adhere to these rules, we cannot allow imports of, of you know, meat and dairy that is produced in a, in a way that is much less strict than what we want for Swiss uh, farmers. And obviously this cannot happen overnight. So we were like, okay, we give each other, we gave ourselves 25 years to do this. So there was a transition period of 25 years planned where, you know, the state had the opportunity to come up with a new subsidy system, completely redesign this and, you know, to have a, to have a way of farming that kind of aligns with what we believe to be Swiss values of sustainability and animal-friendly care. And how do you get that to be a national initiative versus something like a canton level? Do you choose? Is it like you know you have buy-in from a certain amount of cantons? How does it get to be this huge national debate? Yeah, good question. So in Switzerland, when you have a, an initiative that you want to launch, it is an amendment of the constitution. That's what we do. It's not, we are not proposing a law. You're trying to amend the constitution and animal welfare. The Animal Welfare Act is something that is regulated on a federal level. That's why you have to do this nationally. Whereas, for example, the primate initiative talked about fundamental rights and the fundamental rights are dealt with on a cantonal level. That's why we could do this in a canton because we wanted to add a line, a line for primates and fundamental rights uh, kind of part of the constitution. Um, yeah. So basically, if we want to do this nationally, what you have to do in Switzerland is you, you need to gather 100,000 signatures, physical, it's important, physical signatures. So you have to go on the street, you have to get people to sign a piece of paper, or they, you know, they print it at home, they can print this at home, and then they have to send it in, and then it goes to their town, and their town says, okay, yeah, this person lives here, this is legal. And that's kind of how you have to get the signature. So it was a lot of work, especially Sentience was still a very small organization when we started. And we needed many, many volunteers to help us get these signatures. Wow. How do they, how do they verify them when they're done 
by hand? <laughs> Can you just scribble like <laughs> hundred thousand different names? Yeah, cool. We got them all. <laughs> no, they're they're going to get sent to the um to the to the towns where people live. So you have to you have to have one sheet per paper, uh, one sheet of paper per town. So if you get people to sign it on the street, you have to ask them, okay, where do you live? And then you need a separate paper, if, a separate paper if it's a new person, and then you send that in to get verified. And then, yeah, you need to have at least 100,000 verified signatures. And that kind of forces, it starts the process on a, on a, you know, on a federal level. Mm. And 100,000, well, a lot of people, I think Switzerland has 8 million people. That's already a percent of people need to already be like interested enough to have a ballot initiative, right? So you need, yeah, it's a fairly high starting mark. And like, how do you have like a time period, like 12 months to get this? Or is it like unlimited to get the 100,000? No, it's limited. It's 18 months from start to finish. So you, you are limited in the time that you can gather those. The same with a cantonal level. But that's why, for example, the, the primate initiative uh, on the cantonal level was so interesting because I, I'm not 100% sure, but I think it was something like 3,000 signatures that we had to gather. And I think we did this in like a month. You know? So you, you gather those signatures and then you force the canton and the people of the canton to have a debate about the topic you care about. So that's very interesting. Wow. And at that level, are you, um, does it feel like, are you just sort of, is it kind of normal in Switzerland that people would approach you for a signature for something and you don't have loads of information, but you seem kind of like tangentially interested. So yeah, sure. I'll put my name down. It's not like campaign at this point where you're having to like explain the issue and get the person really personally invested. Does it feel kind of shallow at this point? Um, it's usually very like, yeah, low involvement. So people are like, oh, okay, factory farming. Okay, I care about that. You're right. I think I'm signed. Like it's very low. In- Obviously, like we, we always briefed the people who, who went out to, to gather signatures. But yeah, at this point, you know, there's also many initiatives that in the end don't, don't happen. You know, they don't get the signatures. So people are used to signing things and you know, sending them out. I was gonna say, out of interest, how many get on the ballot kind of every i think it's four times a year right so how many initiatives actually get to that stage kind of like per year it's been more and more in in recent years because obviously you know the the amount of people stayed the same for a long time but we have more and more people in switzerland so um that's it's interesting you know so it gets easier actually and uh many parties now also use it you know they could just do policy work in parliament but they also use this as a tool for agenda setting so Interesting, right? So, like, even parties now use this, which is actually a tool for the people um, to, to to get their voices heard. So, yeah, happens more and more. Hard to say a concrete number, but basically, on average, you vote four times a year, and usually there's multiple things to vote on. So that can be amendment of the laws that are just coming from parliament, or referendums, or initiatives. I'm interested to know from the comm side then if it is kind of just gathering those signatures and getting it to that point using the term factory farming has I guess I'm assuming was pretty key in getting the majority of the people that you asked on board right it's such a um, loaded way to describe agriculture as it is now um do you feel like i guess especially with your comms background i think that's probably been really interesting and helpful insight into how to set up campaigns like this do you feel like there's importance in the language that you use in those early days to try and garner that interest well, i think the language that you use to frame an initiative is crucial so for us framing it as a factory farming initiative uh, was crucial we could have had the, the we could have called it like the better lives for animal for animals initiative or you know 
I don't know, it's hard to come up with something on the spot, but basically you can frame it very, very differently, very in, in a positive way, for example, uh, rather than, than talking about the negative status quo, which is what we did. We're like, okay, at the moment we have factory farms, we have to get rid of those. <clears throat> so I do believe that, yeah, framing is crucial. And for us, it, it obviously helped us as, as well, because, you know, when we launched this initiative, um, I mean, now I'm, I'm jumping a bit into the future, but like, when we launched this initiative, the, the idea came up in, in 2017, I think, and we started gathering, gathering signatures in 2018. Um, times have changed. Nowadays, in 2023, you know, people working in sustainability and environmental organizations, they know that factory farming is a relevant issue for their topic, or people working in health, they know it's relevant. This, this was a big shift that happened in the last few years. When we started this initiative, um, it was really it was an animal topic. You know, it wasn't that widely accepted. And we, when we started this, we really thought this was a radical proposal. And now when we had to vote, we're like, this is actually on the verge of being, it's already thought of as sensible and popular. It's not yet policy, but we're getting there. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and in terms of why you picked this initially, uh, is that because at the time in 2017, 2018, you, like you said, you were like, wow, this is a really radical thing. This will shift the Overton window. And you expected it to get like, maybe not many votes, but you think it'll be good for like the discourse and the narrative around the topic? Or yeah, maybe talk me through like why you picked this versus like any other uh, kind of reform or demand you could guys could have asked for. Hmm. So obviously there was before my time, I joined in 2019, but I do know the discussions that happened uh, before that. And yeah, so basically people thought we will have zero chance. <laughs> so mm. I, don't, I don't want to say zero, <laughs> but like people thought, yeah, okay, this is going to get 50, 15%. We're going to do it for the attention on the topic. And, you know, over time, the narrative changed and 2019 happened, the entire Fridays for Future movement. The, the narrative about around food systems change got stronger and stronger. So, so obviously our, you know, our expectations grew <laughs> over time. But yeah, I think one of the, one of the, the strategies that we use is also having these, we call them lighthouse projects. So th something that happens for the first time in Switzerland that just kind of facilitated by the very unique political system that we have. Like there has never been a country voting on the abolition of factory farming. So we were the first ones. There has never been uh, anyone in any country voting, uh, having a direct democratic vote on fundamental rights for uh, animals. So we were the first ones there as well. So we kind of leveraged the system to, to do historic first that then ideally shift the Overton window, but also have an impact abroad. So the fact that I'm on this podcast now with hopefully many international listeners um, many. It is one of the consequences of, of this, this strategy, right? Mm. And then maybe um, do you want to get into, I feel like so juicy when you hear, you want to hear the actual numbers, right? So how did it go? So you actually said you thought maybe at the get go, you thought maybe 10, 15% would actually vote yes. And what was the final outcome? And yeah, are you kind of pleased with that? Is it what you expected or any kind of surprises in terms of outcomes? Yeah, so in the end, we got 37.1% uh, of yes votes. So about yeah, um, 63% pe uh, of people said no. Um, interesting outcome. I think what is more interesting is that 44% of women said yes, whereas 30% of men said yes. So there is a massive difference uh, when we look at how the different genders kind of voted. Um, you know, we're still evaluating whether that had to do with the kind of narrative that we chose, the campaign was really focused around animal suffering. That was really the main kind of, yeah, the main kind of framing that we used. Um, that being said, we did work with a broad alliance. We worked with 
environmental groups. We worked with uh, farmers, progressive farmers from different organizations. Um, and each of these organizations, I think it was 15 to 20 organizations, I don't know the exact number, and they had their own kind of sub-campaign with their framing, right? So environmental organizations, they talked about the environmental impact. So there were articles quoting them. They sent out press releases to kind of appeal to their audience because they knew it's a relevant topic. So to the outside world, the big campaign was focused on animal welfare. Um, but yeah, but yeah, there were many, many sub-campaigns and many debates happening around the impact of factory farming on other areas of, of society, of life, of the environment. Um, but yeah, I think it, the question whether we're happy with that, I want to say, personally, I am, actually. I'm quite happy. Um, obviously, would have been nice to see over 40%. <laughs> obviously, would have been nice to win. You know, yeah, I, I'm late. <laughs> that's clear. In Switzerland, though, to win, I think that's also important. You need the, the majority of the stands, which is cantons, uh, to also say yes. So it's similar to the electoral college in the, U in the U.S., and the rural cantons, we knew from the beginning that's just going to be impossible because, like the the, the center right wing parties have, you know, they're super strong there. It's usually very agricultural, um, you know, countryside, and so we knew that that was going to be very hard. Um, that being said, personally, I'm quite happy with with the thirty seven percent. We sent a strong message. You know, it was over one million people who voted yes um, on something that is. Quite frankly, it's quite a radical transformation of the Swiss agricultural system. Plus, with the with the import regulations that would have had consequences throughout, you know, other countries, the EU, that, that delivers a lot of meat um, and dairy to Switzerland. So, yeah, I wouldn't say I'm happy. I'm happy with what we achieved and the international kind of recognition. Yeah, for sure. I feel like, um, yeah, I know a lot of us were uh, invested, right? It's the first of its kind. Um, how did that feel for you and the team? Is it, uh, it's kind of drip fed, right? So it's not this kind of big um, announcement. So the votes are, are coming in all of the time. How does it feel as a team to um, be, to have that, uh like optimism for the future and how many people did vote yes and how surprising that was comparatively to perhaps what you were expecting versus the the disappointment of that kind of hope that you have that you know maybe maybe we will just sneak sneak this through um how does that feel as a team and, and how do you kind of pick yourselves up and go to work the next day and you know campaign again how does that feel as a as a team and, and as a leader of that team so i want to say First of all, we were quite exhausted <laughs> at the end of the campaign. You know, <laughs> it is it is a big national campaign, so I think everyone was just really, really tired. The last few months before that were very, very hard. And that being said, yeah, you know, there is disappointment. I'm not gonna, you know, not gonna not mention that. I think it's important to to say yes, we we are hopeful, and yes, we are working every day towards a future where this is a, you know easy question to answer. Of course, we don't want factory farms uh, in Switzerland. Um, so, it, I, I mean, you, you know it, you know, it's frustrating to work on a topic where meaningful, really meaningful change that you want to see, you know, that's still years into the future and you're just kind of paving, you know, the road there. You're starting, you're starting a path even for others to walk in the future. So I think you have to accept that. Um, you have to acknowledge when you're sad, I think it's also important to just really talk about that and be like, actually, you know, I was really hopeful um, and and move ahead and be happy with 
with what you achieved. And I think in the Swiss context, we have, we have quite frankly changed the narrative quite a bit. And, and many retailers are under pressure now. The farming industry had to, you know, the whole summer they had to talk about the, what's happening within, in their farms. So this will stay with people. I think the impact that we have, for example, with, with journalists is quite massive. You have to imagine like so many journalists wrote about this from all different, like basically every relevant media outlet wrote about this, an in-depth article or more, usually many. So all of these journalists, they had to read into these topics. They had to learn about this. And now they know, you know, so this is going to stay. So there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, and obviously the, the many environmental organizations that had to build teams around this topic, had to build expertise. What does this mean for our specific topic? This knowledge will stay. So yeah, we're basically, again, we're paving the road to, to the future. And I think we have had many meaningful kind of milestones along the way um, that are going to help us in the future. Mm, definitely. Yeah. I think, I think it's a great analogy to be like, yeah, you're kind of setting the next wave of activists or advocates up for like a big win. So I think yeah, that's definitely a very reasonable analogy. Um, in terms of like wins, I think, yeah, you're, you're saying journalists and media talk about this like kind of, I mean, nonstop, but like certainly quite a lot. Um, and do you have an idea of like how public opinion shifted over this like kind of 12 month or so period? Did you have any polling that can actually track people's attitudes and yeah, any findings from the public opinion side of things? Um, there were a few quite interesting, quite interesting things that we found out. So farmers are still considered the most trustworthy people in this debate. That is very, that didn't, that didn't change. That was before the vote and it was after the vote. We are quite high up that the least trustworthy were retailers, interestingly. Um, so, so, you know, I, I think for us, again, this can be very, this could be very Swiss specific. Um, but for us, it kind of shows that you cannot win anything on a policy level around the topic of agriculture without farmers. You have to work with farmers. You will not sway public opinions without them. So I think for, for us, that was very crucial information. I think we knew that, to be honest, um, but it just brought it home again. Especially in Switzerland, the farming industry is very powerful. Um, and, you know, people still really like them. It's, and, you know, so that's, that's just a fact and we have to, we have to accept that. Um, obviously, some people started caring more, I think with women especially, and they cared more about animal welfare after the vote than before the vote. I think with men, it was kind of stagnant. Um, that being said, and I think that's, that's also something you have to live with in a direct democracy when you have an initiative. The fact that we brought up this initiative helps the opposition to also have a campaign and also present their arguments as to why there is, where there are no factory farms in Switzerland, why animals are having a good life in Switzerland. So sadly, these arguments obviously were also heard by many, many people. And the majority in the end kind of agreed with them, right? They were like, status quo is good enough for us. So that is a reality. That is for sure, I want to say a downside of this, this way of campaigning, right? Because you give the opposition the, the, the opportunity to present themselves. So yeah, that's just, uh, just a reality. Regarding data, one interesting uh, insight that, that we got was the fact that um, ecological arguments were far, far, far less relevant than animal welfare arguments in the debate. Significantly less, like a, a, a fifth or a sixth when, when people had to rate them. So in the end, with this specific campaign uh, focusing on factory farming, people really cared about animal welfare. 
and the environmental impact was just not that important to them. And we also we, we got this information when we did argument testing even two years prior to the vote, and we got it again now after the vote. So that's very interesting for us. Interesting. Just on that point then, so you basically asked people who voted yes, let's say, and I asked them what's like your top few reasons why you voted yes, and they would list kind of animal suffering near the top and environmental concerns like much lower. Is that how you tested that kind of idea? Yes. Yes. So it was people who voted yes. So again, obviously there's it doesn't include people who voted no. That's obvious. Um, but those who agreed with us were agreeing mostly because of animal welfare reasons, which is interesting data point. The conclusions are not yet there, but you know, interesting to consider. Definitely. Yeah, well I think there's definitely this like um strand of within activism, I don't know, you hear people say, Oh, we should focus on the climate arguments because I don't know, many more people have bought into the kind of the idea that we should kind of mitigate climate change, reduce carbon emissions, and therefore if we kind of piggyback animal issues on the carbon, on like the climate image, it's like a quicker way to basically help animals. So it's interesting that you kind of almost found something maybe slightly different. And maybe you might just say, oh, they just kind of saw through this. It's like a clearly like it's a guise of an animal organization is talking lots about climate change. Maybe you can say, oh, maybe it doesn't feel very truthful or like it's not very honest. But yeah, I think that's an interesting finding. I think it's interesting to, um, it's, it's important to to clarify that People said that their first, um, the first thing they care about is animal suffering. Doesn't mean they don't care about the environmental impact, right? It's just less important to them at this stage. Um, and I think it was still absolutely crucial that we had environmental organizations um, advocating with that kind of particular lens for us, because it gives us a lot more legitimacy uh, for our topic. And in, in terms of, you were talking before about the ballot issues also can be quite um, well. You have to consider that. The opposition also gets a chance to basically speak about their message. And I think that's particularly important because basically the animal ag lobby is much often much more well-funded than animal advocate, uh, ag advocates. So uh, do you kind of see them actually basically put in a huge effort and actually spend lots on advertising? What was basically like the, um, the counter effort on their side in terms of trying to quell this initiative? Uh, millions. So they they spent, they, they spent significant amounts of, uh, of, of, of money. So... I think importantly, you have to understand how in Switzerland, particularly in this context, how the Swiss Farmers Association is organized. So they are a very powerful association. They're uh, organized on a federal level and they have cantonal kind of sub-associations. And what happened was that basically can, they can really work top down. So the, the national association decided, okay, we're going to fight this initiative and we're going to produce uh, advertising materials in Switzerland. You have these flags kind of that you put on your house. If you support an initiative or if you're against it, it's very normal. You kind of do that. That's part of our political uh, debate, <laughs> the way we do that. So what they did is they produced tons and tons of no posters or flags, and they sent them to the cantonal associations, which in turn went to the towns. So they sent them to at least one distributor per town, who then went from farm to farm to hand them out and then also to control whether they hung them. So, you know, it's really, it's really difficult for farmers. Um, it's really also, it's really difficult for farmers who are part of this association to say, actually, I don't want to do that. Um, because you're really alienating yourself within your community. And context is also important. A year before our vote, there was a vote on two agricultural in initiatives, one focusing on, on the use of pesticides and one is called a clean water initiative that would like limit numbers of animals as well because of the, the impact on soil and, you know, water sources. And, and there was a very, very, it was a vicious summer in Switzerland. And, you know, many politicians who advocated yes or no got, got, got threats, had to be protected by police. 
you know, barns were burned down. It was really vicious. So the consequence was that for us, it was more difficult because many farmers wouldn't want to just stand there and say, I support this initiative, even if they did. So that gave a, a lot of, obviously, leverage to, to the Farming Association, who is just a very powerful player. And is there argument is there argument that the practices they use aren't classed as factory farming? Did you have to kind of define that within your campaign? Are they saying, you know, the classic, you know, we take really good fair, care of our animals. It's not like in other countries where they treat them really badly. What was their kind of comeback to all of your um, campaigning? So the main argument that we heard was that in Switzerland, there are no factory farms. That was the main argument. So Switzerland does have regulations regarding the maximum number of animals per barn. Um, so that is, that's quite unique. Many countries don't have that. Um, um, you know, yeah, really, like three men don't have that. So, so this argument, you know, I get where they're coming from. They're not wrong compared with the U.S. where you can have one million chickens in a barn. You know, I've seen that with my own eyes. In Switzerland, it's about it's, it's 18 or 24,000, depending on what kind of chicken and how old they are. Um, so obviously that's much smaller. And yet there's 24,000 individuals in one barn, right? So we argued that is absolutely factory farming. We wanted to limit these numbers uh, specifically to uh, two or 4,000 chickens per barn, depending again, depending on what kind of chicken and how old they are. Um, which still, obviously, from an animal welfare perspective, is a lot of chickens. But we were like, okay, that's still a significant reduction uh, in, in animal suffering because we kind of put ourselves on the standpoint. We looked at multiple uh, studies that really st strongly indicated that group size does impact animal welfare. And this is also something that they were just like, they, they didn't agree with that statement. So there was the fundamental debate there. And then there was also, there was just a lot of lying <laughs> from their side, not going to lie, because um, they, they communicated often that 78% of animals in Switzerland already have access to the outdoors. But what they did is they, they used a way of calculating those 78% with, um, I know the English word, but it's like a specific unit of measurement that equals one cow to 300 chickens and kind of counts these 300 chickens as one individual, therefore coming to the 78%. And we were like, okay, well, out of the 84 million animals in Switzerland, nearly 80 million are chickens. And, and they don't have access to the outdoors. And so in the end, for us, it was 13%. And so this entire debate, and obviously their wrong number also got, their wrong, wrong number got put, put in the little booklet that every Swiss voter receives to make, to make up their minds before the vote. And we obviously, there was an article about that. We were like, this is actually a scandal. This is not right, you know? Yeah, that has to be fact-checked. Yeah, and it was by the government, and they were like, that's valid, because, you know, they're explaining it in the footnote a bit, but, like, people don't know. People don't know these <laughs> Damn units. footnotes. <laughs> exactly. They're like, they're, people are like, okay, well, 78% can have access to the outdoor. That's great. But, in fact, it's about 13, 12 to 13%, so significantly less. Uh, and when you found out that was in their side of the booklet, was it too late to change yours? Like, could you have put, like, 13% in your... Yeah, so you get the opportunity to write this text that is then checked by the government um, for accuracy. <laughs> yeah, for accuracy, right? <laughs> and and the other side gets to do the same. Um, and yeah, you know, that's how it is. It was checked. They said it was okay. Uh, we still got a few articles on that, and it was actually mentioned in the... There's always a debate on national TV about every kind of vote, and it was mentioned there as well. Um, so people got to see it on national TV. Got to make... Obviously, not everyone looks at that, but like... 
people got to see it uh, if they watched that and could make up their mind. Wow. And you, you mentioned the press before. Was there? Did it feel kind of equal in their reporting on being for or against? Did it feel weighted? And in terms of other kind of support, I saw that there was um, some celebrities that also kind of lended their name to the campaign. Does this help um, in the Swiss context? Does that kind of add a lot of weight to the campaign? Is that also normal for a, a ballot um, an initiative on this national level? Yeah, so there's actually data on what you just mentioned on the tonality uh, within, you know, the media. Um, and it was, it was very similar, but it was in our favor. So on average, uh, the tonality towards the initiative was positive, which, you know, makes us happy because it's over all the, the media outlets. Um, so that was really good. And I, we also felt that. So in, in the end, like when people really, when, when journalists really dug into the topic, they they saw that we had a point, you know. So so uh, that really was, you know, that kind of changed the narrative in, in our favor, at least from a from a media perspective. Um, and regarding the celebrities, yeah, it's very common. So usually initiatives have kind of celebrity spokespeople or just people who are politicians who are already campaigning on these topics, or obviously celebrities who are who might be famous for, you know, being being vegan or being like particularly sustainable. And uh, so they kind of lent their voice. We had a pretty strong online campaign. So we had many videos produced professionally that actually in the end, I think they got 1.7 million minutes of view time. So uh, yeah, quite significant, quite significant uh, view time throughout the country on YouTube alone. How was the comms development around the whole vegan and more sort of abolition argument i guess i'm interested because i think it would even happen in this country i don't know what your opinion is james but you ask people should we get rid of factory farming and i think everyone would say yes even just with a little bit of information you know this idea of the um not having cows grazing in fields and having them in sheds same as chickens and the kind of intensification of that farming process i think the majority of the population would would get behind a, a ban for that. Maybe not knowing fully what that theory of change looks like right towards the end, and um, I think especially when it's run by, you know, potentially organisations who have talked about veganism in the past. Did you feel like you needed to be cautious about talking about abolition or like veganism to make sure you weren't also putting off people who may have said yes, just because of it being factory farming and intensification. We were, were you treading lightly to make sure that the narrative wasn't changed, that these are kind of vegan activists trying to get rid of your meat, you know, as, as, as I'm sure the narrative would be in this country kind of skewed by the, the other side. Um, so to, to your first point, yeah, like we had multiple, surveys i want to say two or three years before the vote 80 percent of people agreed yeah we should get rid of factory farming you know so if, if it's just asking people they tend to agree uh the, the the difference is as soon as you have a vote people really need to dig into the topic they need to make up their mind there's a counter campaign in switzerland we have a very strong status quo bias just because historically switzerland used to be a very poor country like 100 120 years ago and now we're a very rich country and people are just there's this thing we're just scared of losing what we have so we tend to believe oh how we're doing things is kind of working out for us so let's not change it too much so that's why we're we tend to be quite a conservative country actually so there's a conservative majority as well in parliament um 
the other question uh, you posed about abolitionism. So we kind of separated the brands, I want to say two years before the vote. So to have a very specific, distinct brand for the initiative, you know, their own social media channels, their own brand, very friendly. We kind of, we jumped on the kind of the value of Swissness. We just said factory farming is not a Swiss thing. Like we believe in, you know, cows on pasture, you know, being out, outdoors, enjoying nature and like having, treating our animals well, basically. And uh, it was, you know, in many ways, we chose to communicate it in a very gentle way in a very uh, non-aggressive way. Um, obviously, we were, we were saying that, yeah, like factory farming is a scandal. And when we had images, for example, that came out of factory farms, we'd be like, this is not acceptable. But overall, I want to say it was a very appealing campaign to people in the center as well. Um, and it was not strongly associated with sentience, even though we launched it. We, were then, we became part of the alliance of like core supporters. So it was Four Paws, Greenpeace, other organization called Fondation Franz Weber, which is known for initiatives in Switzerland as well. And then there were other members of the alliance who were like, um, we were kind of the four main organizations, and then there were more, more members of the alliance, including farming associations and other environmental groups and animal welfare groups. So it became kind of a broader thing and not just sentience, which helped us, you know, be radicalized, I want to say, the thing, because many of these organizations were not nearly as radical sentience. And I, I even, you know, obviously we're radical, but I think we're very much oriented uh, towards dialogue and, you know, talking to people and and making rational decisions. Mm. Yeah, I think the alliance thing is super interesting. And yeah, I think it's amazing that organizations like Greenpeace were actually willing to like lend their support and like say, I don't know, it's like one of the most well-known climate organizations like in the, in the world and for them to be like, yes, we're like a key supporter of this. I think it's like a huge win. And like, how did that, initial like coalition building go and were people quite receptive or like yeah how did that initial formation of that coalition go about so actually i think looking back we would change quite a few things because we reached out to these alliance members quite late i think it was during the process of gathering signatures ideally what you would do in the swiss context is you design the initiative with them before you start getting signatures you get them on board beforehand you involve them because getting the buy-in helps you kind of you know yeah, as soon as they have the buy-in, they're going to give funds, they're going to allocate, you know, FTEs towards this. So it helps involve them early on. I think that was a bit of a mistake. We were a very small organization back then, a little inexperienced politically as well. So we would change that now. Um, but absolutely, like having large organizations support you. And we had quite a few. There was also Pro Natura, which is a very big environmental organization in Switzerland, supporting us um, very vocally as well. So absolutely, it helps. So I do believe that an alliance, building an alliance is, is crucial, crucial to, to get the support. You have to understand that that's kind of the systemic change perspective. So you have to understand the system you're trying to change and you have to leverage relevant voices from within that system to support not even your specific narrative, but a change narrative towards uh, like something progressive where you want to go, just a direction. And what exactly that is will evolve over time. But our idea is we want to shift the entire system. And to do that, you cannot think just in a linear way. We're going to do A, B, C, D, but it's, it's more complex than that. You have to engage, you know, your stakeholders from across sectors. And that makes it a little bit more complicated. But yes, um, I think an alliance is crucial and we're going to continue working on that actually. 
And yeah, speaking of coalitions, Silvano, I'm quite curious to hear how it went with, you said you had also some like progressive farmers on board. Like how did that go about? Like how did you manage to find these farmers? Were these people who were doing what you think are like good practices? And like, were they, yeah, was it quite risky for them politically to say they're supporting your campaign? And yeah, how did that farmer dialogue go about? So there were a few associations, um, specifically one called Kalkfreiland um, or Demeter, which are like, quite, I want to say, progressive farming associations that have very high standards for the production of their uh, animal products. And both of them are above what we've demanded uh, for the general public. So for within the initiative. So kind of our standards were very specific as to what we wanted uh, to see changed and how that change would be implemented. And both of these associations, as well as others who support us, were three farming associations and some that supported us but didn't give their, their logo, for example, for the website. Um, most of them met those standards or were higher. So they were basically saying like, okay, the transition period is 25 years. We will still be able to have our market share. We will just go beyond that even more. So kind of just uh, the, the race to the top, kind of how can we improve our animal welfare standards even more? So they were not afraid of that. And um, yeah, I really applaud them for that. I applaud them for the for the progressiveness and I applaud them for the, the the courage to kind of be like, okay, we can we can do more and we should do more. And it is our role also to be politically engaged in this topic, even though we're maybe, you know, working mostly in the private sector, even though those were associations, they were in a private sector companies. But still, uh, yeah, it was very important to have them on board and to, to have people advocate for us who work with animals every day and who, who know what it's like to maybe struggle financially. Um, maybe just going off that one, I think it's interesting because you said that um, farmers are still the most trusted members of society, according to some of the polling you ran. So it seems quite important to actually have those farmers like at the front of your campaigns. And did you manage to do much like videos and ads and campaigns with like farmers actually saying, we, we want this and this is a good thing for Switzerland? Yeah, absolutely. That was one of the you know core pillars of our online campaign as well. So we did have a few testimonials actually of farmers who, you know, we filmed on their farm with their animals, explaining how the system is not working, uh, what they're, you know, how they believe it should change and, and how they're maybe already implementing some of these things on their farm or what they want to see changed, uh, what, what they see in the system that doesn't work. So it was actually absolutely crucial for us to have these voices uh, within the campaign. I'm absolutely 100% certain that if we hadn't had farmers in the campaign, we would be under 30% in the end. Like if it was just a bunch of urban people kind of coming up with ways how we could potentially change agriculture without actually talking to people from agriculture, I think that would have gone very bad for us. So rightly so. I think it's crucial to, if we want to change the system, we have to talk to people who are very much affected with how, by these changes. Right. So interesting, Leah Garces um, spoke at the Ava Summit um, last year about her relationship with a farmer and she's worked in the movement for, you know, decades and it was the first time she'd really um, had that kind of engagement with a farmer and actually how transformative that relationship had been for her activism and how she now runs um, Mercy for Animals. So I think, yeah, it feels kind of odd to be trying to achieve something like this without buy-in from it, from any of that side. So if you do have more of those, um, uh, yeah, persuasive voices, I guess, that are bringing in a different audience, I think, yeah, that, that seems really key. 
Um, so you spoke about this as a success, I guess, having those that farming um, community, some of those voices as a part of the campaign, kind of a challenge, maybe not starting the coalition early enough to support the campaign. What are another couple of takeaways on both sides? Maybe one um, one thing you would definitely take forward to do again and then something that, you know, maybe didn't go as you expected. We're still we're still kind of working on that to be honest. Like we 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 are still recovering. Post- <laughs> yeah, we're, you know we are writing a postmortem uh, on the campaign, and I do believe that many ripple effects are yet to be seen. You know, like how this is going to affect um, work within, for example, parties who supported our initiative. So we had the the three most left leaning parties kind of supporting us. How this is going to affect you know their policy work in the future. Uh, we're we're still going to see that. Um, I think. One of the learnings for me was that people do care about animal welfare, um, and we chose right uh, with the focus of our campaign. Um, you know, the focus that the fact that we focus on animals, I think that was that was really good. Again, I, I have to reiterate this point: like working with farmers was crucial. I think, yeah, it just it's an absolute no brainer. We have to do that. We have to do that moving forward as well, even closer. I think. Um, with regards to what we could have done differently, have an even broader alliance, mobilize more people from the political center. Um, that being said, in the particular Swiss uh, context, it's very difficult because the center party is, for example, like the center party is kind of yeah, where decisions fall, you know, kind of if they are in favor, you tend to have a majority, for example. Um, but, you know, it is, a, it is a very rural, they have a very rural base, many farmers. The head of the farming association is actually a member of that party. So that's kind of where you lose these people. Also, the, the liberals who in, in Switzerland, the liberal party is very economically liberal. So they really didn't support us at all. I think 8% of liberal voters voted yes. So um, that was very difficult because it's a state intervention. You know, it's something they don't like. They like free markets. Um, <clears throat> so there, you know, I think we hit our goal. Our goal was having many, many, many people talk about what we're demanding, having many people reflect on the status quo in animal farming in Switzerland, Um, having people think about factory farming maybe for the first time in their lives. So I do believe we hit many of our goals. If If we went out and wanted to win, then we would have to adapt our strategy. We would have to adapt our demands, frankly. I think our at the moment, at this very moment in Swiss politics, it's very hard to to win with the demands that we had. Um, doesn't matter what kind of strategy you have. Um, but you know, again, we're paving the way. I do believe in a few years it's going to be a different conversation. Um, but yeah, I think overall, I think I'm quite. We are happy with with what we achieved, um, even though there are, of course, a few things we could have done better. Um, one one thing for sure: raise more money. Well, we did raise significant amounts of funds. Like we were, we were vastly underfunded compared to the, to the opposition. So, um, maybe one thing I ask about because I'm particularly interested in it is the like the kind of grassroots game. Uh, so I, I know in the US, for example, for things like electoral politics or like ballot initiatives, there's like a huge mobilization of kind of grassroots activists and volunteers to basically call people, go door knocking, do leafleting, and basically do everything you can to reach as many people as possible to get them to a turn out and vote and to be vote in your direction and like how did this kind of grassroots game go in uh, the factory farming campaign and how big was this chunk of your efforts versus the online stuff and the other kinds of like strategies you employed 
Yeah, so we did have um, two people working only on mobilizing volunteers. Um, so our team, in the end, I think it was about eight people. And it was kind of a separate entity, so it was not really just sentience. We kind of had an own campaign team, uh, kind of a little bit separately, even though we were working in the same office room. <laughs> um, and we had two people only allocated for volunteers. In total, we had 1,400 volunteers across the country, obviously mostly from cities or some people from rural areas, but sometimes for an entire canton, you have like three people, you know, because it's so rural and just there's not many supporters who would actually also volunteer. Then you obviously have the parties who supported us, who sent out leaflets to their members who then within, you know, for the party go out and, and put these leaflets out. Um, yeah, there are kind of standards with how you do this in Switzerland. There's a lot of leafleting. There is putting flyers in mailboxes. Um, but there's also a lot of out-of-home advertising, which is quite different to many other countries. Like out-of-home placards is still a big deal here in political uh, advocacy. And there's a lot of online campaigning as well, of course. Um, but yeah, it's also very, it's just very expensive. I think mobilizing rounds up. I, I, I would have to check how much we spent, but um, in the end, I figured uh, we learned that we spent about a fifth of our opposition. But like in, in the in the end of the campaign, I think it's around a million or something, a million USD that we that we spent more or less, you know, on advertising and on placards and on. Uh, for example, we had these very successful print advertisements where we had a full page ad. And we kind of illustrated that's more or less the space that the chicken has in Switzerland. And people, yeah, it really resonated with people. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's, a big, it's a big mix of different advocacy efforts. Mm. And to clarify, is that a million you spent for the overall campaign, like for everything? Was that a million just on some segments of just like the advertising placards and not including people? Honestly, I'm throwing this out there. I, I would have to double check that. But I do believe that um, we spent roughly that roughly that uh, just for the last year, more or less. Um, I think the, the whole campaign didn't cost more than 2 million. It was less than 2 million. That's from, from 27, uh, 2017 onwards. So, you know, it was not compared to what the opposition put in, it was not that expensive. The opposition put multiple, multiple millions just in the last few months, just to kind of uh, not have us heard at all. Yeah. And Switzerland is an expensive country <laughs> to advertise as well. Yeah, well, I think two million actually sounds like quite a small uh, value given like how much like positive value this could create. So I think you're saying, I think if I can imagine many more funders like could be very interested. It's like if you manage to actually like get over 40%, even get close to 50, you were like, um, yeah, I can imagine like the returns on investment is like so big. I can definitely imagine, yeah, there's like you could spend way, way more and yeah, it could be totally worthwhile. It's very cool. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we still had, until the end, we still had room for funding, you know, especially with, with advertising. Like we did, I want to say the, the minimum, we were quite visible throughout the country, but like yeah, you cannot compare it to the visibility of the opposition in the end. And so where does it go from here? How do you, um, does it just end? When can you, can you go for it again? Is that in the plan? Was it just kind of a, a one hit wonder to see how it went? Um, what happens for, for sentience now, but also when, when this campaign's dominated for so long, but also this specific campaign, where do you go from here? So this year we're for sure not launching another national initiative. Um, this, <laughs> no you, you, way. Want, you, want, you want to have, you want to have, you want to have the summer to gather signatures. We don't have a tax yet. Nothing. I can see that happening next year, actually. So, you know, we're having conversation as to what we could come up with, 
specifically, you know, following up on, on this particular victory, kind of what did people agree with? You know, it was quite a big package that we, that we asked people to sign off on. And like, are there parts that people really strongly agree with and parts that were more difficult? So this is something to evaluate for sure, which we're doing. And we're also going to keep up the collaboration with the Alliance, just because having this vessel of like this, you know, the whole ecosystem in a room around the topic like factory farming is so valuable. You know, all the environmental organizations, the farming associations, I think that is really crucial. So that's something we're going to keep alive. And this year, we're also focusing on another <clears throat> on another project around uh, multi-stakeholder ecosystem kind of engagement uh, around sustainable protein. So we're we're working on a on a process with with a, a university in Switzerland, the University of Applied Sciences in Bern, as well as Collaborazione Helvetica, who have worked with in the past, and they're kind of experts in facilitation of of systemic change uh, initiatives. So again, we're working with people from different sectors who are already trying to change uh, the way that we consume. Uh, proteins or are trying to change the production of proteins in the Swiss context. And so we want to engage with all different kinds of scientists, uh, investors, you know, the public sector, government, and try to find leverage points um, that, we, that could potentially really change, uh, you know, how we consume protein in Switzerland. So that's something we're working on this year. And uh, some other stuff is in the works. I, I cannot really share that yet, but um, yeah, stuff is, uh, stuff is happening. <laughs> secrets will be revealed and and how does it actually work for initiatives is it common that you would run it again is there like a timeline before you can do that how does that normally work so it's not very common that people go out with the exact same initiative again uh, because people will remember and they, they will feel a bit forced maybe um but uh what's you know you you kind of go back to the to the drawing board and you come up with uh some amendment to the constitution that sounds reasonable. You have to check that with lawyers. You have to check that with uh, also even with the government. So you have to go back to be like, is this an amendment that we can propose this way? Then they have to say, yes, okay. Like legally speaking, this would be an okay amendment to make. So they have to verify that and then you can start gathering signatures. But you need also an, a committee to like a private people to support the initiative. So there's an entire process beforehand that you have to check with like experts in, in you know, legal matters experts in the field exactly you have to think about okay if we amended this with this exact wording what would the implications be so you really have to think through it uh, quite a bit before you just propose something um so yeah it's a bigger process it's not going to happen this year because also you want the summer to go outside have volunteers collect signatures you don't want to do this in swiss winter it's very cold <laughs> so um <laughs> yeah there's not many people outside who are willing to stop and to, to sign something so yeah that's the process. Um, nice. Well, in terms of um, maybe some moving on slightly from the uh, factory farming initiative, um, maybe avoiding the stuff you've said so far, which is, I think you mentioned, you think working with farmers is something that's uh, basically extremely important and maybe like neglected and like maybe not done enough within the animal movement. Do you think there's something else that like um, basically the animal movement could do differently and could improve upon? And you think it's currently there's like an approach or an area or like a region's neglecting that you think actually deserves more attention? Hmm. I think there are a few things. So what comes to mind is, is pressure campaigns. So just coordinated campaigns with different uh, organizations on different levels with different methods and tactics towards one specific goal. 
I think that's very valuable and this coordination doesn't happen a lot. There's still kind of a lot of, you know, differentiation kind of working on very different things when actually the coordination could be very valuable. Um, I do believe we also need to move away from this idea of linearity. I think I've mentioned it before. You know, I think we need to think very systemically about the topics. How do we shift the entire system? Because again, if we, if we come up with, with one particular change that is then implemented with one particular player, for example, but the whole system is still geared in a way that actually prefers another outcome with this particular player, um, it will just happen again. So we do need to change the entire system. Um, and that is it's very difficult. Uh, it takes awareness of, of the ecosystem. It takes dialogue with, with players across uh, different sectors as well, outside of your NGO bubble or activism bubble or grassroots bubble. And uh, yeah, it's very difficult work and it takes a lot of um, time and, and dialogue. Yeah, yeah, I think that's so true um, and, and makes sense for the type of work that you're doing. And I hope that others, even if their political system is not as democratic or works in the same way, I think there's so many takeaways from this type of campaign where you're activating different cause areas, different um, narratives that all come together for the same goal. Um, and for, for how kind of radical that was, I think that's actually really interesting learning, regardless of the political system that you, you find yourself in. So we just have some um, kind of wrap up questions. What's a view that you hold that most animal advocates would disagree with? Uh, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but work with farmers. <laughs> <laughs> they are important. <laughs> they can be your allies. Sure. I think you've, I think you've absolutely demonstrated that, you know, just having them on board, like you said, you would have what, something like 10% less of the vote. Um, had you not had them on board? That's, that's, I mean, huge. that's just my guess. Uh, that's not scientific. Yeah, <laughs> just, yeah, sure. <laughs> and I understand people who, who struggle with that idea. Just want to, just want to make that clear. Mm. Definitely. Yeah, I think definitely there's some camps of animal movement which are like, no, they're the enemy. No, we have to like take these big companies and these big farmers down. But then, yeah, I think definitely there's huge benefits. It's like, like you say, if you want to change this whole industry, surely you want to kind of be, be in dialogue and work with them because this is going to affect like the, the lives of millions of people. And you want to make this as like smooth and like beneficial to everyone as possible. So it's like, yeah, you kind of need to be able to be cognizant of these potential impacts. Um, and then another question we had was, uh, in terms of like more, more positive news and more exciting things, what's some kind of like new animal movement related news that you're particularly excited about or you're happy to hear that you want to share with everyone? Hmm. So what I really like to see is the impact that the kind of fur movement is making. Um, there's just more and more news coming out about uh, like brand stitching fur or, you know, whole regions kind of banning the production. So I think that's a really good kind of, um, yeah, topic to look at how did we actually achieve success and what can we learn from that yeah amazing and do you have any um media recommendations for our listeners any podcasts any blog posts or um resources that you find particularly useful within your everyday work um i really enjoy lewis bollard's newsletter that's kind of focusing on on what's happening in the u.s mostly i think also internationally but like a lot is focusing on the U.S. It's very interesting for us. Um, I really like the the cranky vegan on YouTube. I think he's also on Instagram. He has very like he has these hot takes on how we can work 
uh, from a grassroots level, what could be a strategy. So I, I don't know, really, really enjoy these videos. And I, oh, there's a lot. Like again, the, the Guardian um, has this this part where it talks about farmed animals. I really enjoy that. Sentient media, and I also listen to the Eighty Thousand Hours podcast, which I really enjoy. Nice. Yeah, I, I totally agree with Cranky Vegan. I think well, all, all of what you said, but I think Cranky Vegan is like particularly uh, interesting. Like you said, he's quite willing to go quite on a limb and say things that maybe everyone's thinking or like not willing to say publicly, but he's just making these great videos about it. So I definitely also recommend that. Um, and then in terms of following either your work personally or following the work of uh, Sentience, um, yeah, where can people find more about your work and yeah, where can people follow you? Um, you can find us on social media. I think we're uh, we're not on TikTok, uh, but we're on nearly all of the other platforms. So yeah, just look for Sentience. That being said, our communication is mostly in German. We are going to work on an English newsletter though this year. I cannot announce it yet, unfortunately. I mean, yeah, it's if you follow us, you'll see it. <laughs> and if as soon as there's an English post, you'll know it's about us. So uh, yeah, that's gonna that's gonna come soon. Amazing. Well, thank you so, so much for your time. That's been really interesting for me to learn more about the initiative. I think, as we said before, there's such parallels between the different areas that um, everybody's working on, you know, essentially towards the same goal. Um, but yeah, that insight has just been really fascinating. So thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.